listeners. Hello, welcome listeners. To welcome to Tooth and Claw. Tooth and Claw podcast. podcast. Oh, you're. <laughs> um, I throw you off. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Uh, oh, we're talking geez. about critters, animals. <laughs> Sorry, I have COVID and it's been hard for me to control my voice tones. That's like one of my side effects. Wes, Wes uh, and I will talk about animals. You can yell about them if that's how you yeah. want to do it, though. I just can't control. I don't know. That's like one. I was reading about it. A lot of people, they're not able to control their tones. Okay. So you just really? yell sometimes. Sorry if any. Yeah, I just yell and I act madder than I am. Uh, yeah. What are we talking about? You've had like all the symptoms now. Here, let me try again. What yeah. are we talking about today? <laughs> you almost had it there, dude. Uh, how you feeling? You feeling okay? I feel like yeah, every other was, episode you've had COVID. I've had it a lot. This is like fourth or fifth, but this was the first time it messed with my taste. Oh. And I was really confused because I was eating a box of good and plenties. Mm-hmm. And. Gross. Which you like. I love them. Yeah. And <laughs> no, I, I love them too. Almost done. And then all of a sudden it tastes like burnt hair. And I threw them away. And I was so confused because I was like, someone messed with my good and plenties, but I live alone. <laughs> so how yeah. did that happen? And I was like, I have been flipping off ghosts a lot it, just to make them do something. Maybe it's the ghosts, you know? And ghosts are old enough to eat good and plenties too. <laughs> <laughs> but. I kind of realized, hey, I probably have COVID. And uh, yeah, yeah. Messed with my smell too. Like chemicals smell really strong to me and gross. Hmm. Hopefully it doesn't ruin Reese's for you like it has for me. I was careful not to eat any. So Uh it wouldn't even like. Yeah, if it ruins good and plenties, that's NBD, right? It's just good and plenties. I I like good and plenties. You're candy prejudiced. (laughs) Good and plenties are like. A candy that when I was growing up, if someone offered them to me, I would kind of be like, I guess, you know, it's better than no sugar, but yeah. I didn't want them. They're low. They're my lowest tier candy. Wow. Yeah. I can't think of a candy I like less than good and plenties. Maybe like the 30 year old hard candies in your grandma's dish or something. Oh, I or would you want one of those? Well yeah. over good and plenties. Yeah. Okay. I like good and plenty. Our grandma, our grandma, Mary, who lived in Missoula, she kind of had an, a nervous break a little earlier in life, like in her 60s. And ever since then, she was a little a little kooky. You know, she's a kooky lady. We loved her. But we would go over to her house or her apartment, and she had these nuts that were in this, this container that had probably been there since like the 70s. And me and Jeff would tell her to give the other person nuts. Like she would ask if we wanted anything, and I'd be <laughs> yeah. like, Oh, Grandma, Jeff actually really wants some of those nuts. Do you still have those nuts? <laughs> and it was kind of an unspoken rule that if she gave you the nuts, you had to eat some of them. And they were just rancid. They were so <laughs> gross. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, she's funny. She I was. remember I went on a lunch date in high school there. Uh-huh. And I went with my friend Carrie. And I guess Carrie, I didn't even know, but I guess they like had done like some service project there recently. Uh-huh. So we went in there and she thought she knew Carrie and not me. She's like, hey, <laughs> how are you to Carrie? And just had no <laughs> yeah. idea who I was. And it was really funny to me. I remember she the time she lady. was... She was limping around, and we asked her why she was limping, and she's like, well, I've only got one sock on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's fair. <Okay. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes it's sense. Anyway. limp. You guys, just go ahead and 
put me out of my misery if I ever get crazy. Just one song. You want us okay. to do it? Yeah. yeah, I give you guys permission. Just How? make it quick. Uh, feed me to a shark. Oh. Sure. Oh, okay. Which no. is actually... Because then they'll kill the shark. Oh, Jeff, you blew it. <laughs> Wes had it. <laughs> Just teed it up for you for the first time ever, and That's you fine. don't take it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You've got COVID. It's understandable. Yeah. I do have COVID brain. Yeah, you do. Yeah, the reason I said that is because today we're going to talk about someone who was kind of in a way fed to sharks. What? And it's a crazy story. It's one that's been on my list for a long time. I think the first time I did a subscriber episode, I, I wanted to do this story. And then as I looked into it more, I thought, you know, I really want to give this one some more time before I do it. And so I have, I've read a lot of the material that's been And then you kind of forgot it. about it and I sent it to you? Yeah. Jeff reminded <sighs> me the other day and and then I wasn't, I still I wasn't going to do it. I 50% credit for this Because there's like... There's books that are hundreds of pages of long. What? Hundred pages. That's of long. like a Harry Potter book. <laughs> hundred pages of longness. Pages long that are about this specific story. I didn't end up reading those because I don't think it was necessary. But um, there is a lot of information about this particular story. So if you do want to do a deep dive, go ahead and read them. Hundred pages didn't. long. Yeah. Yeah. hundred of pages long. And if you do read those books, maybe record something like where you and a couple of your friends sit down and tell the story about what you read, and then we'll listen to it. Yeah, Maybe we'll exactly. even subscribe. <laughs> call it, yeah, call it Skins and... Cooth and Claw. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Tooth uh, and Paw. Cluth and Ta. Oh, yeah, that's better. Tooth and Paw. All right. So the sources that I did read for this were a 30-page kind of true crime novel by Alan J. Whitaker called The Shark Arm Murder. Hmm. And then I read an online article on Mental Floss by Michelle Debzak. So those are the two. Of of them. <laughs> All right. Those are the two main sources that I used. And the reason that I did decide to pick this one now is because we're about to go to Australia. And Australia is where this happened. Me and Jeff and Mike and some members of our family, mine and Jeff's family, we're going to Australia. We're going to go to Queensland, to the Great Barrier Reef. But you guys may not know this. Our first night we're spending in Sydney, and we're spending in this little, we're, we're staying in this little beach town called Coogee Beach. And that's where this story takes place. Who, the listeners didn't know that, or me and Mike? Uh, you and Mike probably didn't know that. Because mm. I've just kind of planned everything. Either. No. Yeah. You've uh, just been because, keeping that secret all to yourself. Yeah, huh? I haven't. As long I've as... been sending you guys lots of stuff. <laughs> but I doubt I just want to see it. a koala. That's all yeah, I, I care I, about. Jeff, I, we're doing a whole side trip just to get you a wild koala. Just so That's you know. all I care about. I just want to see a cassowary, and we're doing a whole side just, trip. Just we're going to find them. koalas, and they're just going to be asleep, and it's going to be like, oh. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That's what they do. That and get chlamydia. All right. I'm going to grab So we are going to be, we're going to be doing a night in Coogee Beach. It's a really tiny, small beach town right outside of Sydney. Because we're staying there, I decided I want to do this this week because I think it'll be fun then to visit in a couple weeks. So a lot of our stories on this podcast are about, mostly about animal attacks, but they have this kind of true crime element to them. Mm -hmm. This is the opposite. This is mostly a true crime story, but it has an animal attack element to it. So oh. I think it's going to be fun. Cool. I think we're gonna have a fun time with this one. All right. Let's neither of you put guys on can our do pants like a, and get started. <laughs> neither of you guys can do a 30s 
gangster accent. Hey, what I in Australia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's a hard one. I don't. I'm not even gonna try. I can't even no. do an Australian <laughs> accent. All right. Hey, I'm walking you. Uh, okay, so no, we can't. We're just going to go ahead and say for sure that's not something we can do. All right. In April 1935, Australia, like many countries around the world, was experiencing a Great Depression. A lot of people were unemployed. Good work was really hard to come by. And families were having a really difficult time just getting food on the table. One man that was feeling it especially hard and was really vulnerable was Bert Hobson. Hobson lived in Coogee Beach, this quaint Whoa, beach town on we're the going. edge of Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really, this place was really well known for some ocean pools. And these ocean pools, I think these are kind of a popular thing in Australia. It's like a pool that's built right next to the ocean. So it's fresh water, or no, sorry, it's like a mix of salt and fresh, I think, but you swim in it and then the ocean waves like crash into the pool as you're swimming. Oh, cool. So they're, they're probably just salt water actually. But anyway, this Coogee Beach is known for having those ocean pools. It had a really thriving pier with like an arcade and a bunch of stuff. Arcades back then are different than our arcades now. But um, a bunch of really cool tourist attractions and trappings that were really common for towns in the early 1900s. And then Hobson, Bert Hobson, he ran the Coogee Aquarium and the swimming baths. And these were attractions that had been built in the late 1800s as part of the Coogee Palace. And the palace was built in the style of an English seaside resort. So it had this big, beautiful dome with really elaborate paintings inside. It was just a really beautiful, cool place to have a seaside vacation. And it had been a really, really popular destination in Sydney. But in 1934, the nearby pier had closed. And the pier was probably the biggest attraction in the area. And the aquarium and the swimming baths were quickly falling into disarray. People didn't have the money to really spend on these sort of things anymore. And it was just like a lot of businesses during the Great Depression. It was really starting to fall apart. Even the so, businesses were depressed? Yeah, everyone was depressed. Wow. Even the man. businesses. <laughs> except for the really, really hyper-rich people. Mm. Um, yeah, those guys so are Bert, so awesome. <laughs> they're not. I disagree. Bert, <laughs> the guy who runs this aquarium and these swimming baths, knew that he had to take some drastic measures quickly or else he was going to lose the aquarium and would join the ranks of thousands of people that were unemployed in the city. One day in mid-April 1935, Bert and his son Ron decided to go fishing offshore of Coogee Bay, and it didn't take long before Bert hooked a small shark. He's reeling in this smaller shark when suddenly a 14-foot large tiger shark charges in and attacks the smaller shark on the end of his line. Oh, no way. So in the process of this tiger shark attacking and eating this smaller shark, it gets really wrapped up in his fishing line. He has really high gauge fishing line. It gets wrapped up in it and tangled in it, and he manages to reel in a 14-foot tiger shark, which is pretty crazy. Nice. Nothing came up and, like, ate that tiger shark, though, like in Phantom Menace, (laughs) or just a bigger thing. There's always a bigger fish. Yeah, Uh, that would have been sweet. (laughs) So Hobson's staring down into the water at this massive shark, and he suddenly realizes that he might be looking at his salvation. There had been a series of brutal shark attacks over the previous 15 years, and they had really shaken the Coogee Beach area. And people are completely terrified and fascinated by sharks in Australia at this point. They have a very different history than we talked about in the 1916 shark attacks in the U.S., where at the time, 
Do you guys remember like what people thought of sharks before the New Jersey they shark they attacks? Were turtles. <laughs> they thought turtles were more dangerous. Right. I mean, they just thought sharks were big fish. They just didn't <laughs> see them as really a threat. Yeah. Australia is very different. They had a long history of shark attacks. They, at this point in history, they knew very well what sharks were capable of. And at this point in time, there had been some really gnarly shark attacks and Coogee Beach especially knew what they were capable of. So Hobson knows I've got a potentially man-eating shark here. I'm going to take it into to, you know, the, the beach and I'm going to put it in one of my aquarium pools. And put well, it on wow. display. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He had an so, aquarium pool just ready to go. Yeah, he's the one that that manages this aquarium. So he uh, like cleared so out. So he's the like catching pool. fish to put in his aquarium, mm-hmm. kind of. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it works. People do want to see the shark. They're fascinated. Yeah. They need a break from the monotony of the the Great Depression. They're like, ah, oh, crikey, look at this pointy tooth fish. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. Is that a white pointer? <laughs> anyway. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so they've spent all this time seeing headlines about killer sharks. They can finally see one in person. And it really starts up a frenzy around the shark. And it peaked on Anzac Day. Anzac Day is kind of the Australian equivalent of Memorial Day, which is on April 25th. And hundreds of people had bought tickets to see the aquarium and the star of the show, this 14-foot tiger shark, They flocked to the large pool where visitors could peer through glass portals on the side of the pool and watch the tiger shark as it moved slowly through the water. Tooth and Claw is brought to you by Element. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot already. We drink a lot of Element in my house. Jessie's like constantly drinking something, and every time I go to take a sip out of her water bottle, it's almost always Element. We absolutely love it. But something that I didn't really know about until recently that I learned through Element is that healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about drinking water and electrolytes. And that's because when you sweat, you lose both water and sodium and both need to be replaced, not just the water. So a lot of people, and I think we've been this way too. You guys probably heard this growing up. You're supposed to drink eight cups of water a day. Did you guys hear that? I did. Yeah. yeah. And that's not and necessarily like four true. four cups of milk. Yeah, we drink a lot of milk stuff. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our mom is pushing milk on us hard. But that's not necessarily true. Eight glasses of water isn't necessarily the case. You really should just drink until you're not thirsty anymore. Drinking beyond thirst is a bad idea because it actually dilutes those electrolytes in your blood. So the solution isn't to stop drinking water. It's to drink water plus electrolytes, and then you don't have to overdrink. And that's why Element is so important. It's got all the electrolytes that we need. It has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. And it has zero sugar, artificial colors, or other ingredients to hold you back. Plus, it's really tasty. Like I was saying, we absolutely love it. What's your favorite so Element, flavor? I like the chocolate? Um, watermelon. No, I don't really like the chocolate that much. Watermelon, But I like so the watermelon. Oh, I like man. the grapefruit. Grapefruit's good. Orange is good. I like raspberry a lot. But I, I, like, I them like them all. all. Except for chocolate, (laughs) but maybe (laughs) chocolate will be your thing. So Element came up with a fantastic offer just for us. Go to drinklmnt.com backslash tooth to get a free sample pack with any purchase. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash tooth. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, so I do want to bring up that two big attacks had happened in Coogee Beach in 1922, 
And I do think we'll probably do a subscriber episode on those two attacks because there's a whole other podcast dedicated to them and they're pretty gnarly great white shark attacks. So this is an area where you can find the, you know, the top two dangerous, I'm putting that in quotation marks, sharks for people, which is great whites and tiger sharks. They're both found in this area. Coogee beach. So this is a, yeah. So this is like a very, you know, people have sharks on the brain in this, in this type of place. All right. Yeah. What, what they type didn't of understand. What are they wearing? Uh, in 35, they're probably starting to like show a little ankle and stuff. Mm. <laughs> Still yeah, like well, full body burlap sacks probably. and stuff. Mom, <laughs> mom really was not accepting your answer that sw- the type of swimsuit you wear doesn't matter. She thinks you're yeah. asking for it if you dress like a salmon or something. <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> there's probably some stuff. I think I might agree with it. her. But <laughs> I think it matters if you're like going to dive with sharks. When I do when I free dove with sharks, they told me that I didn't want skin showing because it can look like a flashing fish or something. Mm. But if you're just going snorkeling, I don't think it really matters what your swimsuit looks like. What about red? I think it's okay. Okay. I think that's fine. Uh-huh. All right. So what people didn't understand in nineteen thirty five. Even for bull sharks. Yeah, bull sharks, I wouldn't worry about wearing red. I don't think they I don't think bulls really react to it either. So what people didn't understand in 1935 was that these big macro predator sharks, so sharks like great whites, sharks like tiger sharks, great hammerhead sharks, they do really terribly in in captive aquariums. Uh, That's something that's well known now. You can't go catch a great white or a tiger shark and throw it in an aquarium and expect it to live very long. They just don't. Even with today's technology and the huge aquariums that we have now, like Monterey Bay's tried to keep great whites a few times. I think the longest one ever was like a year, but generally they only make it a few weeks before they start bumping into the glass and showing that they're just not happy in this captive environment. They didn't know that, but they soon learned it because it was becoming rapidly apparent that this tiger shark was not doing well. It was swimming very slowly, super sluggish, super lethargic, bumping into walls, bumping into the glass and acting really erratically. So on April 25th, there's a group of roughly 14 people that's watching this really lethargic shark. When it suddenly starts thrashing in the water, it darts to the shallow end of this pool and it starts retching and vomiting. So people are are watching this. They're kind of disgusted as this cloud of brown vomit erupts into the pool. Yeah. It creates an oily film and just a disgusting stench. People are saying it smelled just awful. Wow. And... They see this cloud kind of erupt, and then as this vomit dissipates into the water and clears, they can clearly see some objects in the water. One of these objects is the carcass of a dead rat. One is the carcass of a dead bird. Hmm. The third is a human arm. (laughs) Oh, no. The bird ate the person? No. Uh, I think the person ate the bird who ate the rat. It was like what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And then the shark ate some of the stuff I read said they think that the smaller shark actually ate the arm and then the tiger shark ate it. And so it's kind of like a rushing stacking doll or something. Yeah. The Matroshka doll. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the smaller shark that the shark ate, ate the yeah. hand. That's there's crazy. some, there's some people that say that. And the, the reason they think that maybe is because this arm was in such good condition that it would have digested a lot slower in the belly of the tiger shark. If it was also in the belly of a dead shark. Weird. So <laughs> that's so yeah. weird. 
Maybe so wait, they heard the what would Jeff do in one of our shark episodes where I just shove my arm down the they might have thrown. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe an, it's a time traveler went back and played that specific episode. <laughs> you think they it. removed their arm first before putting it into the shark's mouth and they just ran away uh, without an that's arm? That's actually funny you should ask that. We're going to get into that. Let's um, do it. I was just, before we do get into that, I was just thinking about how awful it would be. It's 1935. You're like a struggling family in Sydney. You save for months to finally do something special for your kids you take them to the aquarium and then a shark vomits a rat in front of them. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. You just be like, God, <laughs> man. Really? Right. I feel like I'd rather watch that than watch it just like bump into walls. Yeah. Slow. It's Same. a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> I just feel like a shark vomiting a dead rat has to be a metaphor for the depression, but who knows? You remember <laughs> that 127 <laughs> yeah. hours guy? Yeah. Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston. You think anything ate his arm? Probably bugs, mm. bacteria. Uh-huh. And so then the shark right. ate the bugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you go to like a, a bug zoo and one of the bugs throws up a little bit of his arm and the zoo goers are like, ew, gross. You think that happened, Wes? <laughs> I don't. Wait, I don't when did this that. happen? 1935. Oh, so that wasn't his arm. Couldn't have it been. wasn't Aaron Ralston, for sure. I think we can rule him out unless he's the time traveler. This is a good thought, though. Other arm. Yeah. Right. No, I was thinking that's his arm. Yeah. So when a when a shark vomits an arm into a pool, you have to call the police, and that's what they do. They call the police. Some plainclothes detectives show up. They collect the arm, and Mike, this seems pretty cut and dry, right? If if a shark vomits an arm out into a pool, what do you think these police were like? What was their operating theory here when they're collecting this arm? So. When you say plain clothes, you mean they're dressed up in like a pilot's costume? No, I mean just normal clothes, <laughs> like their day-to-day clothes. Okay. What's the what was the question? Man, I just can't get you guys to answer how I want you to. Uh, no, that the shark ate the guy's arm. Yeah, they thought this was a shark attack. They yeah. just thought, oh, you know, we have a shark attack. We're gonna try and identify <laughs> the victim. But as they're looking into the arm to identify whether or not they can figure out who this guy was, they notice a couple things that are really important. The first was that the arm had a very noticeable tattoo on it. And that tattoo was of two boxers squaring up against each other. And I picture in the 30s they were doing like yeah, the, that's the 30s boxing. Putting yeah. the and up. one of the boxers is wearing red trunks and the other boxer is wearing blue trunks. The other thing they immediately noticed is that the arm had been cut very neatly and had very cleanly been removed from the body by a knife and Hmm. that the shark had swallowed the arm after it had been removed from a body, which is interesting. Yeah, especially they don't have like a ton of shark data. So like it's smart. They didn't think the shark could do that, you know? Yeah. And if there is one shark that would be capable of doing close to that, it is a tiger shark. Because we've talked about them. razor sharp teeth. Yeah, they have serrated teeth that point in opposite directions on each side of their mouth. Yeah. And they can cut through turtle shell with them. I mean, they're incredibly sharp saw-like teeth. And they do use them like a knife. But this cut was so perfect that it couldn't have been from a shark. It had to have been from a knife. Mm. Okay. So pretty much immediately the police start investigating this case as a murder, not as a shark attack. Wow. So one person that read the news about the arm in the aquarium, who was really interested, was Edwin Smith. 
The description of the tattoo sounded an awful lot like the one his brother Jimmy had on his arm, and Jimmy had been missing for weeks. So Edwin heads to the police station to take a closer look at the arm. All right, so we're going to jump back in time a little bit. Oh, nice. Just so like that guy time that's going back to tell yeah. the story. The 127 hours guy. Yeah, he went back to show them the episode about <laughs> Jeff's what you should do. All right. right. We'll diagram so, it all out and put it on Instagram <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> James Jimmy Smith was born in England in 1895, and then he immigrated to Australia in 1915 at the age of 20. He had dreams of being a professional boxer, but he quickly realized that he wasn't going to make it as a pro. So he started working in a billiards club, and then he bought his own billiards room, which was likely a front for illegal gambling. He had married, he had a young son, and as far as things go during the Depression, he's doing pretty well. He had big aspirations. He existed on the fringe of the Sydney criminal underworld, and he's well known in these different clubs and speakeasies and whatnot in Sydney. He was known as being a really snappy dresser, but he actually would rent all his fancy clothes because he knew they would make him more appealing to kind of these these people that were into organized crime and they might want to bring them into their radius um, or into their orbit. And that actually Mm. worked. He attracted the attention of Reginald Holmes and Holmes was a local wealthy wealthy boat builder and he decided he wanted Jimmy to work for him because he really liked Jimmy. He thought he was like a snappy dresser and just like a cool guy. So he Has there decided, ever been a, a Reginald that isn't wealthy, do you think? No, I think you have to be wealthy if you're yeah. named Reginald. <laughs> or, Holmes, yeah. just really, yeah. <laughs> this guy had like four names, actually, but I can't remember what the rest of them were. Of course he does. So he convinces Jimmy to sell his billiard room and invest the money into a project where they were going to develop some lots near Holmes's speedboat business. So they're going to build some houses or apartments, whatever, near this speedboat business. One other thing about Holmes, aside from being a boat builder and a wealthy businessman, he was also widely rumored to be a crime lord that ran drugs, liquor, and cigarettes and organized really large scams. So he's this guy is a player in the crime scene in Sydney. Yeah, he's a, he's a Tony Soprano. Yeah, of he's Australia. not that big of a player. He's more just mm. kind of like a low, a, a small time. Yeah, sure. Uh, and Jimmy's kind of looking for these kind of opportunities. He's just trying to provide any way he can. <laughs> yeah, nah, Christopher's like next in line if he didn't mess up. Anyway, Jimmy ends up Silvio. going into a... Sure. <laughs> just keep naming <laughs> Sol- Sopranos characters. Uh, Jimmy ends up going into a lot of debt to fund this building project. He sells his billiard room. He goes into a lot of debt, and he's pretty much bankrupt by the time this thing's over. It doesn't turn out the way they wanted. So Holmes feels responsible for this, and he offers Jimmy some different jobs. He offers him a job as a launch captain in the nearby bay or marina. He gives him money for a new billiard room, and it's kind of what a lot of people think was Holmes was just trying to take care of Jimmy because Jimmy was privy to a lot of the scams that Holmes was running, and he didn't want Jimmy to rat on him. So he really just wanted okay. to keep Jimmy happy. Mm, and they found a rat in his stomach. They In the shark's stomach, yeah. <laughs> so in 1933... It's like the end Holmes, of The Departed. It's a, it's a sign, you know. It is. Very symbolic. Yeah. <laughs> in 1933, that actually is kind of symbolic. I didn't think about it. Okay. Holmes buys an expensive yacht named Pathfinder, and he insures it for much more than it's worth. 
And then he hires Jimmy to take this yacht out into the harbor and destroy it so he could claim the insurance money. Jimmy does this, and it's this big debacle. The ship's on fire. It's really dangerous. They send rescuers out to help him. He says he doesn't want to be rescued, and he rows himself to shore. And as soon as he gets to shore, he's arrested by the police, and they question him. And during this questioning, he lets it slip that Holmes actually owned the boat. And this leads to Holmes not being able to get the insurance money for the boat. Oh, no. So he's out a lot of money. And Jimmy's actually... insurance scams, they never work, I feel like. They don't (laughs) usually. You think in 1935 you could pull it off, though. Yeah. Those insurance companies are smart. They're smart. They know what they're up to. All right. But Jimmy's actually pretty upset because he risked his life sinking this boat. And he still demands his cut of the money, even though he's responsible for the fraud going off the rails. Come on, Jimmy. For yeah, yeah, for can't Holmes, be doing that. No. Holmes is starting to realize he's got a real loose wire here. He's got someone that he can't necessarily trust. And he's starting to hear these rumors going around town that Jimmy's actually a police informant. And what they would call a police informant back then in Australia was a fizzer. fizzer. <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah. Fizzer. So there are some rumors that maybe he's a fizzer. All right. So in 1934, Jimmy Smith meets Patrick Brady. Patrick Brady is an experienced con man, and he's a professional forger, so he's really good at forging people's signatures. The two pull Holmes into an elaborate check forging scam, and Holmes, who had already had been really careful in his life to maintain a balance between legitimate business stuff and then the criminal stuff that he's doing, he's starting to feel really uncomfortable with how reckless Jimmy's getting and this new guy, Patrick Brady. He just feels like they're kind of flying too high, you know? Mm. And some people think that Jimmy had even started to blackmail Holmes, telling him that he would go to the police if Holmes wasn't giving him money and jobs. Uh, so he'd be not smart. Jimmy he'd be no. fizz. He'd fizz on him. Yeah, he's fizzing. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you guys ever find subscriptions that you forgot about or something that you paid for twice and you didn't realize it? This actually happened to me a number of times. I had two happened Netflix to me accounts. yesterday. Really. <laughs> What happened? Yeah, Peacock. I signed up for Peacock oh. for an NFL game, and then I forgot about it, and then I went back on. Hopefully they don't yeah. sponsor us, Peacock. I, My. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll resubscribe if you want to sponsor us. Uh, yeah, it happened to me. I spent probably close to $500 on a Netflix account that I had no idea I had. And then well, also uh, Mike told me not long ago that we had a subscription active to a, like an Audible type. It was Scribd that I had used for some resources for an episode and we were still paying for it. You cost us a lot of money, Wes. I cost us like 30 bucks. So I do think it's important to know what kind of... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's three people subscribing to our podcast. Rocket Money is actually a personal finance app that will find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills. I think in today's times, that's really important. I think a lot of us tend to spend more money than we necessarily realize. And having an app that helps you with that can be really, really valuable. And they actually have over 5 million users that have helped save their members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. These subscription companies must hate Rocket Money. (laughs) We must hate them if they've told people to cancel their Patreons, which you shouldn't do. Because we're putting out great shit on Patreon right now. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
but you use our Patreon, so don't worry about that. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tooth. That's rocketmoney.com slash tooth. Rocketmoney.com slash tooth. So if I don't want our Patreon, just get Rocket Money and it'll let yep, me cancel. They'll it. cancel it for you. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're right. still you're still subscribed to Grizz Club, I keep aren't doing, you? Jeff? I keep subscribing a bunch of different emails because I just figure it's making me more money. Smart. Yeah. There's yeah. that works. Keep doing that. You Jeff. found the life right. hack. <laughs> So in early April 1935, Jimmy's wife and son decide to go on a short trip to see their family, and Jimmy tells her that he's going to go on a fishing trip with friends for a few nights. And on the night of April 7th, he and Brady were last seen together playing cards and getting rowdy at the Cecil Hotel, and then witnesses said they left together and went to a nearby cottage that Brady was renting for some more drinking. A few hours later, disheveled-looking Brady was seen leaving the cottage and catching a cab, and we know this because the police later interviewed the cab driver. And Jimmy never left the cottage. At least not in one piece. Oh, one uh, piece. Uh, one piece. So when Jimmy Talking didn't show language. up a few days later, <laughs> his wife starts worrying. But because of his, le- his illegal activities, she didn't report his disappearance to the police. But she told his family members and friends that he was missing. So then we skip forward a couple weeks. The shark vomits up the arm. And all these mm. domino pieces start falling. Holmes leaves town the next day when he hears about this arm and the shark <laughs> for a business trip to Melbourne. Yeah. But when he returns, the police are ready. They're ready to talk to him. They pay him a visit and they interrogate him about his relationship to Jimmy. And he had an alibi for the night that Jimmy disappeared, but he's visibly shaken and distraught when the police show up to question him. So they decide they're going to keep an eye on him. They're like, there's something up with this Holmes guy. Mm. besides the fact that his name's Reginald. <laughs> Keep your uh, eye on Reginald out there. The shark is obviously dying, and it's failing to attract much of a crowd, so Hobson kills it, and he dumps it in a trash heap, heap nearby, which to me is just so sad to pull this amazing animal out of the ocean, and it winds up in a trash heap. Yeah. Um, the police come talk to him, and they're like, oh, you just got rid of it? It may have had more important evidence in its stomach. So he tells them where he he ditched the shark. They cut it open. They don't find anything else. No other human remains inside of the shark. Case is starting to get a little cold when something weird happens. Jimmy's 14-year-old son gets a letter from Jimmy that's addressed to his house. And the letter pretty much tells his son that Jimmy's still alive, but he's on the lam. And then his son would have to be the man of the house for a little while. Whoa. This letter is an obvious forgery. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> who did we talk about that's good at forgery? Patrick. Patrick Brady. Yep. Oh, yeah. this guy. I don't like this so, guy. I don't know about this guy, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Because of this letter, the police suddenly have some really strong interest in Patrick Brady, and it doesn't take long for them to arrest him and charge him with the murder of Jimmy Smith. Wow. So they interrogate Brady for like six hours, and he finally starts telling the police that Holmes was the mastermind of the whole plot, and that Holmes had hired Brady to kill Jimmy because the man had become a huge liability. Holmes, who like must have a sixth sense for police pressure by then, this very same day he gets into a speedboat and heads out into Sydney Harbor right around the time that the police are showing up at his house to arrest him. How fast are speedboats speedboat. going back in the 1930s, <laughs> yeah, you think? Probably like four <laughs> miles per hour. <Yeah. laughs> High speed chase. Oh, it's funny you should say that. 
in his speedboat, he has a bunch of liquor and he has a 32 revolver. So he speeds out into the harbor. He gets blackout drunk. He raises the revolver to his head and fires a single round. But it's a really poorly made bullet. It strikes his skull and flattens against the hard bone of his skull. Oh, wow. It's a hard what? skull. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like a bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, this guy should be the boxer. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he had wrapped like a rope up in his arm, though. The impact from the bullet causes him to fall into the water. But he survives, and the water wakes him up. And then he climbs this <laughs> rope back into the boat. And some bystanders witness this whole thing. And they report Damn. it to the police. <laughs> And the police are like, how do we recognize this guy? And they're like, he has a fucking bullet hole in his head. <laughs> That's how you recognize him. <laughs> so it actually wouldn't be hard for the police to find him, though, because when they show up in the harbor, he speeds off in his speedboat. He's drunk. He's dazed from shooting himself in the head. And he leads <laughs> the police on like a multiple hour high speed boat chase through Sydney Harbor. Holy like face off. Yeah, I guess <laughs> yeah. like the police would do like a cutting motion into him and then he would spin his boat around and go the opposite direction. They just couldn't catch it. <laughs> uh, they finally corner him and catch him. And when they grab him, he says the following. He says, why didn't you come to me? If you gave me until 12 o'clock tonight, I'll finish the other bastard. Jimmy Smith is dead. I'm nearly dead. And there's only one other person left. If you leave me until tonight, I'll finish him. <laughs> He said that to the police? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a direct that. answer. Yeah. <laughs> Tempting offer, they were probably thinking. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't an... think you understand. Like, <laughs> that's why you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's in really bad shape. They take him to the hospital. The doctor, doctors say he's probably going to make a full recovery, that this bullet was just like flattened against his skull. <laughs> so weird. Uh, Aluminum when foil. He's yeah. When he's recovered enough to speak and write, the police interrogate him and he spills the details of what he says actually happened. He claims that he had nothing to do with the murder, that he didn't even want Jimmy Smith dead. And he said that Jimmy had been killed over another matter and that his dismembered body had been thrown in suitcases and into a bay, into the bay. And then the arm had actually been kept by Brady. Brady had tied a rope to the arm and he'd taken it to Holmes's office and dangled it in front of Holmes. And he said pretty much if he didn't cut him into his criminal stuff, that Holmes would die like Brady had. Oh, or sorry, man. like Jimmy had. That Holmes would die like Jimmy had. So this is Brady threatening Holmes. Holmes panics. Brady leaves the arm in his office. He knows that he can't report the murder at this point because he's worried he's going to wind up an accessory or something. So he decides to throw the arm into the ocean. And that is where it's eaten by a shark and then vomited up in front of over a dozen people on April 25th, which is just wild when you think yeah, about it. That's amazing. It's so, so crazy. crazy. Doesn't end there. So Holmes pretty much points the finger right at Brady and he even which says- Which finger? The, uh, the arms? No, one of his fingers. Oh, I <laughs> thought got he got his, the arm got and pointed arms. it at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 He points one of his own still alive fingers at Brady and he tells the cops, he says, listen, I'll testify in a case. Uh, and that case is about to happen. They already have it all lined up against Brady and Holmes says, I'll testify. It's going to happen like the next day. So the police decide like, okay, we'll let you testify. We'll let you off easy, but they want to put a guard on Holmes. 
And Holmes is like, no, 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 no. I don't need a guard. I'll go home. I'll be careful. And the police are like, uh, if you go home, you have to tell us if you're going to leave. And he's like, I will. I promise. And the, the police really don't want him to panic. So they allow him to do this because they're worried if they just put a guard on him and all this stuff that he's going to decide not to give evidence. So they're letting him do his thing. Ends up being a bad idea. Yeah. He goes home. He pulls $500 out or 500 pounds out of the bank on his way home. When he gets home, he tells his wife that he has a really bad headache, but that to wait, she should wake him up at 8 p.m. because he has to go meet a business associate. So his wife's like, maybe you should just listen to what the police said and not go out. And he's like, no, I'm going out. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. He's so like, she wakes I him already up. shot myself point blank in the head. I can't be killed. He's feeling invincible. Yeah, he thinks he's invincible. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't think so. She wakes him up. He goes out, and he doesn't come home that night. His wife calls it in in the middle of the night. The police go out, and they find his body in the passenger seat of his car with three bullet holes in his heart. And a witness reported seeing a man approach his car and fire the shots into the car at close distance. And then the police, when they look at the arrangement of the bullet holes and the angle... They say it's impossible that they were self-inflicted. They had to been from someone else and that Holmes was murdered. But a big theory, and this is what a lot of people who have investigated this case think, they think that Holmes killed, he paid to have someone kill him so that his family could get an insurance payout. Because mm. if it's suicide, they wouldn't get it. But that he hired someone to do it. Either way, he is dead and he can't be a witness anymore in this case against Brady and the case falls apart because the state needed a body, and apparently at this time in Australia, an arm didn't constitute a body. So Brady's huh. released, and wow. Brady actually dies comfortably in his home as a 76-year-old man in like 1965 or something, somewhere in the 60s. <laughs> so, wow. weird. Yeah. so one last little tidbit. Uh, there's a book by Alex Castles called The Shark Arm Murders that came out in 1995. I think this is kind of considered like the book when it comes to this case and he reveals in this book, he did a lot of investigation that James Smith was actually Jimmy Smith was actually murdered by a criminal named Eddie Wyman after Jimmy Smith had become a fizzer. And it was like he had given information to the police and Wyman was one of the most dangerous criminals in Sydney. And he was caught because of this information that Jimmy gave to the police so that they think that Wyman contracted Brady to murder Smith. So Brady's still involved, but they think that Wyman was the guy behind it. Mm. And this Wyman wow. guy was actually shot 10 years later by another gunman in Sydney, uh, Chow Hayes, during a gangland quarrel. So there's all sorts of nefarious stuff going on uh, yeah. in Sydney in the 1930s. So the whole right. catalyzing event for the police to even begin investigating was the arm getting vomited out, right? Nothing like would have happened. this guy catching a tiger shark. That's so they, crazy. <laughs> otherwise, I don't think anyone would have ever reported his death even. Yeah. Because no one wanted any police scrutiny on themselves. <laughs> Holmes a, would still be alive Yeah, today. Holmes would still, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not today. 200-year-old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in either 2001 or 2002, I, I got varying different articles said different things. Fishermen in Australia caught an 11-foot tiger shark in New South Wales, which is Coogee Beach is in New South Wales, so Sydney. They opened up its stomach, and human bones and a human skull came out. 
and they were actually able to identify the remains and find an identity for the victim, someone who had disappeared while swimming, so a shark attack. But because of that, because they identified a victim through bones found in a shark, this case kind of got brought to the forefront of the public again. Oh, yeah. So people started talking about it again, which is pretty interesting when you think about um, these sort of things. Tooth and Claw is brought to you by Babbel. If you take a look at search trends, interest in learning a new language is only increasing over time. And with Babbel, you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Are you learning Australian right now? Yeah, I'm trying to learn Australian for our trip. Um, It's hard. I did learn the other day how to say, Los koalas son verdaderas osos en mi mente. No son osos. (laughs) En mi mente. (laughs) Certo. So that means you guys can figure out what that means. Yeah, um, download Babel and Babel. you can learn. Yeah. <laughs> Babel's awesome and it works. So try it out. And here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash tooth. Tooth is all caps. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash tooth. Spell B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash tooth. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, it's been a minute since we covered tiger sharks. Actually, I don't think it's been that long, but we're going to go over a little bit of their biology anyway. Uh, This is a really fascinating shark. We're not going to really dive too deep into it. If you do really want to deep dive into tiger shark biology, go back to our Townsville uh, shark, tiger shark shipwreck episode. Townsville is actually another place we're staying. Yeah. We're going to do some herping in Townsville, Townsville. as my friend said. I did yeah. note that. So tiger sharks are How'd commonly they come found. come up with Townsville? Yeah, that's a lazy name. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what should we call our town? Uh, Townsville. Village. Right, next. Town. Um, uh, let's yeah. combine. <laughs> Cityburg. <Yeah. laughs> so tiger sharks are most commonly found in tropical and temperate waters. So you can pretty much draw a band around the world that would go as high as the Northeast in the United States or like the Southern Islands of Japan and as low as Southern or Southern Australia and Northern Argentina. That'd take a while though. Yeah, it's, yeah, it would. To draw draw that band. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, Pretty (laughs) much that whole. You'd be a modern day Magellan. (laughs) The The whole middle half of the earth is. It's habitat the for tiger sharks, the yeah. water parts of it, at least the, the ocean, the sea, the saltwater parts, uh, tiger sharks are sexually dimorphic. The females get a lot larger than the males. Oh, females nice. can girl approach power. Like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> girl boss. <laughs> females can approach like 20 feet and weigh over 3000 pounds, making them the second largest macro predator shark after the great white. Wow. So great whites are both weight and length larger than tiger sharks, but these guys get just about as big. Speaking of second, they're also the shark with the second highest number of unprovoked attacks on humans after great whites once again. Yeah. Uh, we, we bring up those stats quite a bit, but there is something I've been wanting to bring up when talking about those stats. Uh, I was looking at the shark attack file that's maintained by uh, university of Florida, I believe. And there's, one big section that says unknown requiem shark and there's like 51 attacks attributed to unknown requiem shark 
And a requiem shark is a family of sharks like bull sharks, uh, reef sharks, kind of like really classic looking sharks are requiem sharks. And those are there's like just a bunch of those sharks that have attacked people that people weren't sure what species it was. So the reason I bring that up is say like 30 or 40 of those attacks were bull sharks, then bull sharks would actually be our number two shark in the world when it comes to attacks. Oh, okay. So like there is a little bit of an asterisk when you're talking about what species is number two. It yeah. could be bull sharks. It could be tiger sharks. Right now, tiger sharks hold the spot. Because of the red swimsuits? Uh, that's that's not because of, of the red swimsuits, but maybe, <laughs> but no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If I'm, but you know, if I'm out swimming by myself and I see a shark approach, I would rather it be a bull shark than a tiger. You're taking shark. your red shorts off. Uh, I'll take <laughs> off my red shorts too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A big part of the reason why tiger sharks are one of the sharks that do attack people more often is their diet. They are some of the more opportunistic sharks out there. They can really eat a, a wide variety of foods. In some parts of their range, sea turtles are one of their main food sources. And to cut through a sea turtle shell and actually get to the soft things is pretty impressive. Like you have to be yeah, that's a crazy. pretty impressive predator to do that. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to strange things that have been found in tiger shark stomachs that they've been documented to eat. So here's a list of a few of the things that they've found in tiger shark stomachs, aside from a human arm with a boxing tattoo on it. Although that wasn't in its stomach anymore, was it? No. It was like, yeah. I was thinking like the xenomorph, you know how it like counts. it opens its mouth and it has like another yeah, mouth that yeah, comes, yeah, out? comes out. <laughs> Is there like a different stomach for each of those mouths? Because imagine the stuff you find in a xenomorph stomach is what yeah, I'm really trying they, to ask. I don't think that little mouth that comes out of it is like has its own digestive system, <laughs> but I'm not sure. We'll have to ask uh, Geiger, right? Geiger, yeah. Or Ridley. Yeah. I think yeah, Ridley is sure. still alive, at least. Geiger would be a little yeah. harder to get a hold of. Or maybe, um, maybe what's-her-face knows? Sigourney Weaver. Mm, All right. Okay, uh, so some things they found in tiger sharks. A full suit of armor, flying foxes, <laughs> wow. uh, the bats, license plates from almost every U.S. state, Barbies, an African porcupine, several breeds of dog, rubber boots, a small chicken coop, with dead chickens inside, an expensive fur coat, a bag of money, seabirds, and sea snakes. So, bag of money sounds like a little video game where you like catch a shark and yeah. it gives and you money. money just falls out. Has the little like brown sack with the money symbol on Full it. Full suit of armor is crazy. I know. Can you it's imagine wild. being like a orca that eats a tiger shark and then you? hurt your tooth on a yeah it'd be like when you get armor in it you're like, like when you get aluminum foil in your teeth Ooh, yeah or like every <laughs> once in a while at taco bell like my meat has bone in it and it just hurts my teeth you gotta stop eating at taco bell my man <laughs> all right so i think of every shark species out there this is really the species most prone to investigate different food sources and to just see if something is food and that's part of the reason why I do think they're responsible for such a large number of attacks on people is that they are highly opportunistic. We've talked about how like great whites will bite people, but they often don't continue biting because they decide that's not food. I think tiger sharks aren't necessarily the same way. There are these investigative bites 
but there are also tiger sharks that will continue to feed on a person kind of like that video that that scarred me last year from the red sea i don't oh, like yeah. that video. Right. yeah neither do i okay so we're not going to do too much biology like i said but i do briefly want to go over what you should do if you encounter a tiger shark in the wild and i do want to mention i have personal friends who've spent their lives swimming with tiger sharks they are shark researchers who free dive with tiger sharks almost every day. And this is not an animal that just sees us as prey. It happens sometimes, but this is not an animal that we should villainize or demonize because, you know, there are many, 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 many more positive interactions between humans and this species than there are negative. But I do want to go over what you should do. So first of all, like all of our aquatic predators, the main thing is avoiding the circumstances in the first place because once you're being attacked by a shark there's very little you can actually do to stop it so things to avoid murky water especially low light you don't necessarily want to be out swimming in murky water at like dawn or dusk Uh, inlets places where there's brackish or fresh water flowing into the ocean are often places where sharks will hang out attractions in the water like if there's a dead whale nearby or if you see strangely high amount of marine life in the water you might want to avoid swimming because that just if there's more likely to be fish and dolphins and stuff around there's also more likely to be a shark you also just want to read warnings if you're going to a beach or something and there's been a lot of shark activity there'll there'll often be a sign that says high shark activity at that place maybe don't go snorkeling there maybe pick another beach I actually, oh, I forgot to bring this up. I just saw this video of this Italian kid in Australia, also right by a place where we're going, who swam in this kind of murky water, just decided to stop and go swimming and snorkeling and videoed his leg being ripped off by a shark. He doesn't actually show the shark like coming up, but you see him like swimming to the beach afterward and there's just blood all over the water and he's screaming and stuff in his GoPro. It's crazy. Like what, what do TikTokers say now? Like... Not my leg being missing, something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But he was <laughs> Italian, so he's like, not to me leg being missing. Yeah. Hope like I don't spaghetti. slip into a coma. <laughs> and a coma. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, if you're out there, buddy, honestly, sorry you lost your leg. That I, I watched the video, and it was like a hard one to watch. Okay, so avoid those things. If you are in the water and there's potential that there's shark around or you he, see a shark... He played that Oh No song that they always do on TikTok. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, If you are in the water and you see a tiger shark, the number one thing to remember is to stay calm. If you start splashing or swimming erratically or panicking, all that's going to do is tell that shark that you're prey that's trying to escape from it. So you want to face the shark. If you have something you can put in between you and the shark, like if you have a GoPro that's on a pole, or if you have any kind, like you could take your fin off and put it in between you and the shark, just get something in between you and the animal and then calmly get to safety. So you can like slowly backstroke or whatever to a boat or to safety, but keep your eyes on that shark and keep facing it. And just that is going to greatly reduce your chances of having a problem because these are ambush predators. And if they know that you can see it, it's probably not going to come in and make contact with you. If it does, then what you can do, and this is, again, this is like higher level, maintain eye contact with it, extend your arm and press your hand flat on its head. 
Tiger sharks have a really rounded snout and they have this big flat head. So if you push your hand flat on its head, you can divert the shark down and away from you. And then you can kind of go over the top of it. And mm. that's like an expert move. Hopefully you don't find yourself in that situation. Yeah. But that sounds is what hard I've, to like remember too. But yeah. Yeah. But honestly, just remember that big flat head and remember to push it down and kind of roll over top. Yeah. All right. If you actually are attacked by the shark at that point, eyes, gills, snout are the things you should try and hit. But again, at that point, you're kind of at the mercy of the shark. You just got to hope you get lucky. All right. Let's get into our categories. All right. I want to say too, with tiger sharks, what you were saying, just about like how most of the time you're going to have a pretty positive interaction with them. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of Jeff's. Like most yeah. Jeff's, you're going to have a pretty good interaction with us. But there are like, we got a few Dahmers out there. That There's some you bad know, Jeff's out there. Well, yeah. You don't want to meet them in a murky alleyway. Yeah. Where do you find yourself? Do you think you're going to be a good Jeff oh, I or a think, bad Jeff? Yeah, I think with me, you'll have a pretty positive. Um, yeah. I'm All right. a pretty good Jeff. All right. Well, I'm climbing I'm up that ladder of Jeff. People that have interacted with you, and we'll see about that. <laughs> okay, let's get into our categories. My first category that I wanted to do was your favorite organized crime pop culture. So whatever you want to pick from the world of organized crime, Bonus points if it's back in the 1930s, but uh, go ahead and pick whatever you want. I can start us off. So, I mean, my favorite, I don't think quite counted because it's point break, but it's just not that organized. It's more just like surfer bros. So I Mm want to pick one that seemed like more smart and I went with Logan Lucky because it's like really well planned out and I just really like that movie and... Uh, yeah, that's my, that's Is my that choice. Soderbergh that directed Logan Lucky? Soderberg. I think it was. So, okay. Soderbergh. Mike? I'm going with, uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora. One of my favorite books, fantasy book. Um, it's about a- Gen- Gentleman Bastards. The Gentleman Bastards, yeah. They're kind of an elite organized group of con men who, uh, go around stealing from rich people in fantasy Venice. I forget what the town's called. Do you remember, Wes? No. Something. But, um, Locke and John- Two of the great fantasy characters ever. Uh, just a really fun, I don't know what the word is, irreverent <laughs> group yeah. of people going around doing organized crime. Yeah. You know, I found when I was watching Arcane, I found myself thinking about that book a lot, which is kind of a weird comparison, but I did. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to pick Breaking Bad. Uh, mm. It's still organized crime. I think it's, I probably think it's the best show ever made. I really wanted to pick Sopranos and then I really wanted to pick Boardwalk Empire because it's 1930s organized crime, but ultimately I had to go with Breaking Bad. They um, have a scene kind of like crime. this in it. Not in really. Breaking Bad? They got that guy's the head guy's on a tortoise. Oh yeah, that's true. And the cops find it on the tortoise. Yeah, Tuco's head, right? Blows up, I think. Yeah. All right. So my next question for you guys, your worst experience ever at an aquarium or a zoo. I'll go first on this one. Uh, When I was a kid, we went to SeaWorld, and I know there's a lot of really intense feelings about SeaWorld out there. I think SeaWorld does a lot of good for marine mammals, but they've also done some bad. And something they did bad when I was a kid was they weren't great with their dolphins. And we went to a dolphin tank, and the dolphins just had all sorts of weird growths on them. 
and weren't and doing touch well them. and pretty disgusting. And we touched them and, and like interacted with them. And I remember even as a kid who should have just been really excited to see dolphins, I remember feeling really sorry for them. Mm. So that was probably my worst aquarium or zoo experience. I'll go with our last trip to Lagoon when we rode that train. And then it just shows like awesome animals in the worst enclosures. I think honestly, if I could link my like depression and suicidal thoughts back to anything, it'd probably be that train ride. (laughs) Jesus. Just (laughs) chasm. I don't know. I think we should know how to (laughs) get into that more. But I do think we should get rid of that zoo. I think. It's yeah, maybe awful. A, sucks. A side thing in our podcast should be a campaign to get rid of that zoo and get those animals to better homes. Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah, I couldn't really come up one, with one for myself. I'll I'll steal Jeff's, but I will say, uh, last year I went to the San Diego Zoo with my dad, and they have this really cool bus tour that we both hopped on first thing, and there was just this shrieking baby that I know. Like, what can you do? And it makes me feel like such a jerk to be like, can you please shut your baby up? But like, you know, I can't help thinking what I think. And uh, yeah. it, was anno- <laughs> it was an annoying baby. I go, I know I go to the Salt Lake Zoo all the time just because I like to go on walks. And like, it's like, why not just go to the zoo? Yeah. But every once in a while, there'll just be like a million little eight-year-olds there. And I'm just like... Man, I'm like a 34-year-old just walking around by myself with like a million little kids. Like, I don't love that. Imagine if you were one of the bad Jeffs with all those kids running around. Oh, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Uh, You Uh, know exactly what to do. (laughs) I do want to say quickly, we're pretty pro-zoo here at Tooth & Claw. A lot of the research I did was funded by zoos. Zoos have ambassador animals that people can learn from. They give them great enrichment. Those animals are typically animals that can't live in the wild for whatever reason. So we are we tend to be pretty pro zoo here at this at this here little podcast. All right, to my favorite category, we're Mike and Jeff paying attention, and today's gift to the winner is going to be we're going to be spend some time in airports together, and you know how often they have like a seize candy kiosk. I'm going to let you the winner. Pick something up to $15 at the Seas Candy kiosk that I will pay for Whoa. in one of the airports that we go to. So like one so chocolate? That. You know Seas is no. charging a premium at airports. You can buy like three of those Bordeaux bars for that or maybe okay. like one small box of chocolates. Great. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to yuck a yum. I'm in. Yeah, it's a free yum, man. Don't yuck yeah. your yum. Not yucking. Who wants to go first? There's four questions each and then a bonus question. Anyone want to go first? I want to go first, please. Mike, Mike, what color were the boxer trunks on Jimmy's tattoo? Uh, One red, one blue. Correct. Jeff, name one thing that the shark vomited up aside from the arm. A rat and a bird. Ooh, nice. Oh, maybe a couple bonus points? We both did (laughs) kind of two. Okay. Loser Mike. has to take a laxative before next episode, Mike. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Side bet. Or wear red trunks uh, when we go to Australia. Or you have to take a laxative on the plane. <laughs> oh, uh, come on. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> yeah. how old was Jim how old was Jimmy when he moved to Australia? Oh shoot. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. You didn't say that. Oh, I know. It. I did. Did you? Jeff, do you want to steal? No. 
He's get, he gets to guess. Yeah. Let me guess. 12. Incorrect. Jeff? You had the right numbers. 21. He was 20. Oh, oh, so oh I thought 21. Yeah. All right, Jeff, you your said second 21. question. How long was the shark? <laughs> you said 20 feet, but I think you were just saying how big females that's can the get. Biggest, that's as big as they can get. This particular shark I was think how long? I want to say 12. 12 feet. Incorrect. Mike? 14. 14, correct. Ooh. All right, Mike, how old was Brady when he died in his home? Patrick Brady, 93. Jeff? 71. 76, close. <gasps> uh, you 76. Said 71. Trombones. Jeff, what family of sharks are bull sharks and reef sharks found in? Uh,. I'll give you a hint because I know you don't we're listening. <laughs> but this will also, if you don't get the, do you want the hint? Because I think if you don't get it, Mike will get it with this hint. Yeah, give me it. There's a movie called Blank for a Dream. Requiem Sharks? Requiem. Yep. Good yeah. job. Okay. Did you know it Mike. without the hint, Mike? I would have, yeah. You uh, you clutched it out, though. That was good on your right. part. I just knew the movie. <laughs> sure. Mike, what two types of waters are tiger sharks found in? Salty and fresh. <laughs> Incorrect. Jeff. <Damn> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what two types of waters? Yes, Murky I said this. And tropical. You got one of them. Tropical. No. Tropical and, temp- and... And temperate wa- uh, waters. No, you you did say murky. You've I never did. said any of but this But that's stuff. not going to count for this. Uh, Jeff, what is the Australian 1930s name for a police informant? Uh, Pfizer. <laughs> Pfizer. Pfizer. That's the name Pfizer. of the, Correct. <laughs> <laughs> the vaccine you got. <laughs> All right. So Jeff's up one point. Wait, you gave this me is, that? Yeah, I gave it to you. This bonus one, <laughs> Don't I'm just going to do this. This bonus question is just <laughs> worth one point. So Mike, if you get it, it's a tie. I'll buy you both C's candy. If you don't get it, then Jeff wins. Oh, let's Ooh. go, Mike. What is the name of the beach where the shark was displayed? Oh. Coogee? We're visiting. Mike got it. You both get 650. Oh, let's go. Hey, but you both just job, get 750 Jeff. instead of Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> we don't need to take laxatives for now. No laxatives. Okay, next Tell category. Although I, I might anyway. <laughs> Our next category is something you recommend this week. Something you've been listening to, watching, reading that you recommend. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, So in fantasy football, I had a little side bet with a listener, and I should have put their name down, but I didn't. But it's basically, if he beat me, I had to watch this show called Mob Psycho 100. And if Mm -hmm. I beat him, he had to like watch all of One Piece, so he like... (laughs) This is a big wow. commitment, but he beat me, and at first I didn't like it at all. But I'm starting; it's starting to grow on me, so I'm starting to like this Mob Psycho 100 show. Mob's great. Okay. Reagan, yeah. you like Reagan? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's great. He's funny. Yeah, uh, all funny scenes. I got this Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory Old Fashioned Fudge at the River uh, Riverwoods up in Provo. Great, go check okay. it out. For people that don't live here, though. That's inaccessible. Unless, I don't know, you want to make the drive or something. They might have an online store Rocky, or something. Rocky Mountain Chocolate is in yeah, some other places, they're, they're too. Good. Yeah. Go get it. It's so good. 
Um, if there's fudge. not one in your area, sure, fudge. Okay. <laughs> I like All it. right, no, I like it. Fudge. Uh, mine is gonna be the movie Wonka. Why are you shaking your head? That's good. <laughs> what, I, what do you want me to say? It's fudge. Go eat it. It tastes good. It's just, it's just surprising. I guess. Is it better than most fudge? No, I'm recommending bad fudge to eat. Everybody, I'll buy you that, go buy I'll some buy bad you fudge, fudge instead of C's candy if you want it in the Salt Lake Airport. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. I'm recommending the movie Wonka. I had no desire to see this movie. I really didn't need any more Willy Wonka in my life. Wasn't interested at all. Mike went and saw it. more Wonka. Yeah, Mike (laughs) went and saw it and really liked it. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll see it. And the other thing that was pulling me in was it was made by the people that did Paddington. Mm. And it had a similar feel. It was just whimsical and fun, like fun musical numbers in it, really well acted, just like a great, fun movie that was just a nice escape. So I really recommend it. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. I had a great time. Because of fudge, Wes? Uh, well, there's fudge in it. It did <laughs> make me want to eat some fudge. Yeah, it's good. Oh, so both that reminds me too. fudge. Yeah. Um, did I correct my carotid artery thing You already? did. Yeah. Okay. One other thing I wanted to change. Someone asked us a little bit ago, like, what our, our like, fun thing for movie treats are, and I just completely spaced my new thing I've been doing, and I wanted to say it. Yeah, you said uh, you like, my, like to bring in cakes or pies. Yeah, and pie, stuff. I like that. Still. That's a great I stick, answer. I stick to that still. <laughs> yeah, but my new thing that I actually wanted to say, our movie theater is really close to World Market. And so my new thing is to go into World Market right before and buy weird candy from around the world and then take it in. And I really enjoy it. It's been really fun trying like different candies from different countries as I watch a movie. So You know, anyway. it's a good movie theater candy. Good and plenties. Nope. Oh, <laughs> man. Hard to yeah. see. Eat them by the when they taste full. like burnt hair. All right. Ah, oh, man. Jeff, so do you got weird. an animal fact for us this week? A baby sea otter can't swim or dive until it's three to four months old, so it hangs on its mother's chest. When the mom goes looking for food, she wraps the little one in kelp to keep it from floating away. Cute. That yeah. is cute. I like that. All right. Uh, do we have any listener questions lined up? Did anyone grab those? Oh. I have listener questions. I sent them to you guys. I don't have subscription questions. Subscription? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I, we have a couple new ones here. Yeah. Here's um. I'll just do two quick patron questions. This one's from Cassidy. Cassidy says, hi, guys. I've got a bear question for you. Hi. If bears have an insanely good sense of smell, how is it possible to come around a corner and surprise them? Would you have to be upwind of the bear in this scenario? Cassidy kind of answered their own question there. Yeah, it really depends on the wind direction. If 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 the wind is blowing your scent toward a bear, there's a much better chance they're going to smell you coming before they even see or hear you. But if it's blowing the other way, then they're not going to get your scent. So the wind the wind direction really does have a lot to do with that. Um, but if it is blowing toward the bear, they will probably smell you before they ever see you. A lot of times too, they like in thick brush so there's a lot of smells right, right by them They're like they stand bombarded. up to get like the big distance smells a lot of time right yeah totally all right this one's from olivia olivia says hi guys i was catching up on some bonus episodes and jeff's most recent one made me wonder this is kind of an old question so sorry it took us so long <laughs> but it was about your hurricane one jeff uh, uh olivia said 
Yeah, if you were guaranteed to survive completely unharmed, what catastrophic natural disaster would you most like to witness up close? For example, I'm terrified of and fascinated by volcanic eruptions and would love a front row seat to one if not for the side effect of an excruciating and horrendous death. Liv also says, P.S. I want to give Mike a special shout out. I really adore his episodes and can feel the care he puts into research and narratives. Podcasts wouldn't be the same without him. I agree. But I also love Jeff's. I think they're both great. Podcasts okay. in general or just our podcasts? Our podcasts. Oh. But I thought that was a nice that would have been from huge if High praise. In general. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so what's your natural disaster you want to witness up close? Tornado. Mike? But like... In a, I want it to like go through like an abandoned town and watch it like rip up houses or something. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. I think it'd be awesome to be able to see a huge earthquake, like a a giant seismic split in the earth right in front of you, and somehow mm. you aren't hurt by it. I think that'd be really yeah. cool. A volcano would have been my answer. Like yeah, I do the splits on it. Yeah, <laughs> like Van Dam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm with Liv. I want to see just a massive volcanic eruption. I was in a volcano. Like I want to see Yellowstone explode. Guatemala. Oh, you were in one? Like a volcano eruption happened by me, a big one, and it and a hurricane turned into like a tropical storm and hit us at the same time and it just rained volcanic sand on us and it like burned your scalp and stuff. It was crazy. Wow. That was was that Pacaya? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I hiked and I toasted yeah. marshmallows in the lava up there. Yeah, it like erupted a little later. Someone yeah. must have thrown a ring of power in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Jeff, you got some questions for us? Uh, Heather XXS, um, do you think babies cry all day because they have an itch? They can't scratch because they're dumb? Uh, <laughs> no. I guess. <laughs> Which I part know. is caused by them being dumb again? They the itch can't, or they can't, they can't scratch, scratch their own itch. No, I don't. Why do you think they are cry pretty all day? dumb? Uh, they want milk. Attention. Whores. They just, yeah. <laughs> I think she's right. Um, <laughs> Jack Doing Stuff asks, what's your first ever memory gained consciousness moment? Like your earliest memory, I think. The yeah, one I remember is being... Across our street where we grew up, Wes, and mom yelling at me, Jeff, take your hands out of your pants. Okay. And that's my earliest memory. That happened two weeks ago. (laughs) Well, (laughs) when I went into high school, this cool kid would on football team would have his hand down his pants. And I was like, oh, so you can be cool and have your hand in your pants. Yeah. Sometimes it's the warmest place for your hand. It's comfortable. Yeah. Uh, Mine is very clear. I was like two years old, which is too young to have your first memory, but my parents went out for a date and they left us with my grandpa Larson, who was a bit of a scary person, like a real mountain man, really gruff, but really funny. He had like just a kind of crazy sense of humor and my parents were gone. And I remember crying and looking out the window because I thought they were like gone or had died or something. Because it was one of the first times they had left me. Like a dog. Yeah. And my grandpa, I remember him clearly coming up to me and saying, listen, I don't know where your parents are and I don't know if they're coming back. So stop crying. (laughs) (laughs) And I stopped crying. Mm. It scared me. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma can, I guess that is a a shortcut to early core memories. Uh, Mine is learning the, the truth about Santa Claus. 
when I was little. Mm. Someone came Spoiler. over. Spoiler. Plug your ears. Well, I already told this story. Plug yeah. your ears if you're, what, 15 years old or younger? Is that when people start to learn? Um, sure. So one of our neighbors just came over dressed up as Santa Claus, and it was, like, really obvious. And my parents even, like, told me that's who it was. So I think they were just out on the whole lying about Santa Claus thing for me from a young age. Yeah. Young age. All right. Oh, the Henry Quills. Oh, then Quills. Uh, favorite band or song of all time or just a current band or song that you like? My favorite of all time probably has to be Say It Ain't So by Weezer, which is kind of, I know Weezer's like really gone off and like I kind of get a little embarrassed sometimes saying that. And this actually answers another question we had from a patron recently. They asked like, what was a song that changed your life? I, I still remember being in my room at like, 13 years old and hearing that song come over the radio and I only listened to classic rock up until that point really and I was like oh this is amazing (laughs) and it changed the way I listened to music and it really pointed me in the direction of where my music taste would go from there so I still love that song to this day that's my that's my pick yeah it's impossible for me to pick like a a single favorite so I'm just gonna go with the current side of this question and say uh Aquemini by Outcast or Sister Christian by Night Ranger. That song is <laughs> nice. amazing. Dude, <laughs> 80s, we lost something special with power ballads, you know, when they went out of fashion and they just never came back. We got to we got to rectify that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh Yeah, I don't know. I I you guys are more into music than me. I'll just go with our listener, It's X Music. I'll shout him out. I like his song, Bad Wolf. And then I like the Livia Rodrigo's song, I Want to Get Him Back, that there's a commercial Her new for. album is good. <laughs> yeah. So good. Okay. So Aaron's 393 asks, who's the most famous person you can think of that your mom would not know of? Sorry, Mike. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fair disclaimer. You can do Cindy if you want. Uh, I was wondering, do you think she knows Kanye or John Cena? I bet she knows Kanye and John Cena. Yeah, mm. I'm gonna say Florence Pugh. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna say Kanye West. <laughs> okay, I think Kanye was like enough of a breakthrough artist in like stuff other than music. Like dating he's got Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Yeah. I hope married. mom doesn't know about Kanye. And like did the Grammy thing. She probably maybe, she does though. Maybe Drake. If Drake's we're kind of going with that same. Yeah. Or even Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last one. Court Kelly's 89. If you had a billion dollars, where would you choose to live and why? If I had a billion dollars? Yeah. I'd give most of it away, first of all. Second, I would choose to live. I think I would just build a really nice big house on Flathead Lake in Montana. Mm. I just think, and then I'd probably have a summer house somewhere too, like or a, a winter cherry house. orchard there. Yeah, but I would just want to. Would big you go doomsday and have Flathead. like a basement no. where you can survive an apocalypse? Maybe. I mean, with a billion dollars, oh, you can I would anything. for sure. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's an obscene amount of money to have, so I wouldn't have that much. Well, Mike owes me that much, actually. That's true. But I'm still down on you for that. Billion dollars. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'd 
buy up all that land that just burnt in Hawaii and build a huge house there. <laughs> it's kind of evil. <laughs> just the worst Very person evil. ever. Yeah. No, I I think I would keep it pretty modest. Um, I really like the houses in the show. What's it called? Um, Big Little Lies, like in hmm. by Monterey. Monterey. But like those are beautiful. Just homes. like a nice, really nice house, but nothing like huge. I I don't. I would never want a mansion. I just think it's stupid. Yeah, I agree, Mike. Uh, I've had this thought in my head that someday, somehow, I'm gonna end up in Wisconsin. Jeff can attest to this. I've talked about <laughs> yeah, it you can't for over a decade there. at this point. I read about uh, what's his name on the Nuggets, Jeff, the Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Gordon. Gordon, yeah. He has like a warehouse that he transformed into just a full court basketball court. And then he just lives in like a little room off to the side up above it. I think that's what I'd do. That'd be so cool. (laughs) I'd love to have just a full basketball court in my house. 90% of your house is just a basketball court. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. Is that it? Uh, Yeah. Our last two categories, uh, tiger shark conservation. We've talked about this a bit, but tiger sharks, um, like all larger sharks, are seeing massive population decline due to shark finning. Huge numbers are also killed as bycatch from commercial fisheries. They're also a shark that's directly targeted because of some of the um, medicinal properties of their liver or medicinal properties in quotation marks. Uh, they're also prized by sport fishermen, and even their skin, they make leather out of tiger shark skin. So this is a shark really? that, it's like, yeah, death by a thousand cuts. Um, also like sometimes leather for it, like clothes? For like drums and some other stuff. It's not so much clothes, it's like other uses. Like, and culturally, mm. there, there are some cultures that used it as like drum coverings and other things. And personally, I think that's one of the big tragedies of like, us losing so many animals is that these cultures can't even safely use the animals in ways that they have for millennia anymore, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, also when there's a tiger shark attack in certain places, there'll be coals. Australia is famous for doing shark coals that kills a lot of tiger sharks. Um, they're currently listed as near threatened by the IUCN. That's largely, they're just near threatened largely because we have no real idea how many tiger sharks are actually out there but they are at a high risk of extinction. Their populations are drastically affected by the demand for shark finning number one and then bycatch number two. Uh, just in the hour, two hours that we've talked here, over 20,000 sharks have probably been killed. So pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, okay. it sucks. I hope you can be president and stop that. I, I don't want to be president, but if I am, that will be right one of my in West Larson if you vote. <laughs> Okay, uh, how much do we like this animal, tiger sharks? I, we've done it before, but I want to do it again. How much do we like them? It's a Ten sweet animal name. For me. Yeah, like tiger and shark. The coolest, That's a yeah, sweet ever. combination. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. shark too. I'm giving them a nine. They're cool. I love sharks, okay. and I love tiger sharks. I love you guys. Love you too, man. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing nine as well. I think they're probably like my fourth or fifth favorite shark. Whale shark, okay. great white sharks, hammerhead sharks are my top three. Yeah, mm. I think my like top six sharks all get a ten Tens. claw, and this is one of them. So, sharks are some of my favorite animals. All right, do um, you like tigers or tiger sharks more? Probably tigers. Uh, Mike, that's a 
Tigers for sure for me. Y'all really you because I know, love tigers but... and I love sharks. So tiger sharks yeah. is both. It's not if like tiger really, sharks though. were the only shark <laughs> in the ocean, then I would like tiger sharks more. Mm. But because it's like we only have tigers and then we have lots of shark species, I have to say tigers. We got a lot of cat species. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. That's a good point, Jeff. It's a different yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I thought this was a fun story. I hope you guys liked it. And, you know, next week we're going to be back or next time we do one of these, we're going to be back with a news episode and then we're going to be in Australia animal attacks. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes live from Australia, not live, Uh, (laughs) unlive, alive, dead, dead from Australia. Yeah. Alive in Australia. We did. We did reference multiple times in this episode, some of our subscriber episodes. If you're looking for more tooth and claw content, you can find us on Patreon Every other week, we we release shows that are only available to our subscribers. If you'd rather just be on Apple and have it show up in your Apple feed, the Apple Grizz Club is another option. We love our subscribers. Thank you, everyone who's supporting us right now. Yeah, love all you listeners except for the worms. Yeah, I love those worms. I love them too. All right, see you guys. All right, love you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.